Look again at the queen of them all, Miss Universe, the most beautiful girl in the world. This is Unladylike. I'm Kristen. On November 18th, 90 bedazzled women will take the stage in El Salvador for the 72nd Miss Universe pageant. The pageant for the queen of them all. Contestants, although at Miss Universe they are called delegates, will compete in evening gown, swimsuit, national costume, and Q&A. And if all goes according to plan, only one will be named winner. Miss Universe 2015 is Columbia! I have to apologize. Miss Universe 2015 is Philippines. Please don't hold it against the ladies. Please don't. We feel so badly, but it's still a great night. Thank you all. And ladies, if y'all have never seen the 2015 Steve Harvey Oopsie Daisy at the Miss Universe crowning, the emotional journey that both Miss Columbia and Miss Philippines take with just their faces during this like two minute debacle is incredible. Miss Universe does not get to take home a crown, however. The current iteration, which is covered in sapphires and diamonds, is worth millions of dollars and probably hell to get through customs. And also, if you wear that thing around too long, it'll probably break your neck. Miss Universe and Miss World are the two most watched beauty pageants, and along with Miss International and the very alien-sounding Miss Earth, they make up the big four international beauty pageants. That's capital B, capital F, big four. The creme de la crowns, if you will. But even for the big four, audience size ain't what it used to be. Last year, fewer than 3 million folks tuned in, but still, it was about the same audience size that tuned in for the succession finale. And some of y'all, though, might be surprised it even attracts that much of an audience, considering the obvious criticisms that big beauty pageants have weathered for decades. But to write them off as irrelevant is short-sighted. These Western exports are actually becoming more popular across the global South. Because patriarchy, sure. Because colonialism, definitely. But also because geopolitics and what today's guest calls beauty diplomacy. Beauty diplomacy is this term I thought of because I noticed the ways in which beauty contestants are positioned as ambassadors for their countries. So not only are they expected to do the work of kind of uniting their country, bringing their country together, speaking to the best aspects of their country, 
but they're also supposed to do the work of promoting that idea and those ideals globally. Dr. Oluwakeme Balogun has always been interested in gender, bodies, desirability politics, and especially how they intersect with nation building and globalization. So basically a Venn diagram of international beauty pageants. Kemi is an associate professor of sociology and women, gender, and sexuality studies at the University of Oregon. Her first book is Beauty Diplomacy, Embodying an Emerging Nation. This episode, Kemi is taking us behind the scenes of Nigeria's booming pageant industry to find out what international competitions like Miss Universe, competitions steeped in white, westernized beauty standards and, you know, like literally wearing cultures as costumes, what they can tell us about gender, globalization, and the precarious power of being a beauty queen. Yeah, so at first I should mention that I do have a Nigerian background. So my parents are Nigerian immigrants that came to the U.S. in the 1980s. So because of that particular background, I just had a fascination about learning more about Nigerian culture. So when I was in graduate school and you know I, I was studying sociology, I knew I wanted to do research in Nigeria. Africa in general is understudied in my field, so I wanted to be part of a group of scholars that was really studying Africa and thinking about the diversity of African culture and what that had to tell us in terms of larger social forces and social change. So after not going back to Nigeria for over 10 years, I went back to Nigeria when I was 19. And then making repeated trips every year or so, one of the things I noticed, especially when I started graduate school, was that pageants were really popular in the country. So I was spending a lot of time in Lagos, which is the largest city in Nigeria and the most populous city in Africa. In the course of like a single day, it wouldn't be unusual for me to see like a pageant advertised on a television show or reading about a particular beauty queen that was spotlighted in a news article. It, it really kind of came to a head when my sister was also in Nigeria at one point and she was recruited to be to participate in a pageant. She ended up not doing it, but that initial observation kind of sparked my curiosity about why. Like, why are they so popular? How is it that women's bodies become these larger representations of a nation? Questions of globalization, you know, the pageants are a global phenomenon. Why do I see them dotted throughout the urban landscape that I was navigating? How did, you know, what you were observing in Nigeria compare to maybe what you observed and knew of beauty pageants from growing up in the U.S.? I would say one of the sharpest contrasts is I was noticing that they were becoming more popular in Nigeria, but on the decline in the U.S. There are particular regions or kind of communities where pageants still have a lot of cultural significance and are still fairly popular. But on the whole, they don't have that same resonance. And I think also it has to do with just the different histories of the feminist movements in the U.S. versus in Nigeria, where 
a lot of the kind of public face of the feminist movement in the U.S. was launched through a critique of pageant culture, through a critique of Miss America. That kind of entanglement of the way in which the women's liberation history of feminism in the U.S. was really tied to critiquing pageants. That had a particular consequence and implication for how pageants are read and understood in the United States. Whereas in Nigeria, I would say there's definitely a critique of pageants from a feminist perspective, but the feminist movement or like women's organizations in Nigeria haven't really taken that critique on in a large scale. Their concerns are more around, we need to focus on like the material needs of women in terms of food, housing, making sure they have adequate water. So it's just a different kind of mobilization effort that I think also has an impact on how pageants are read and understood and interpreted. And I do want to put a pin in like that particular kind of feminist lens, because we're going to come back to it. But sort of broadly speaking, why are beauty pageants becoming more popular kind of across the global South? One of the reasons is they're a very global phenomenon, but if you trace the history in terms of the particular formats, it's it's linked to a particular Western origin, right? And so the larger kind of international contest, Miss Universe, Miss World, there's a particular critique of them as being kind of very Western focused and dominated by the West. And so I think part of the kind of interest from global South countries is to say, we want to, we want to push against that particular dominance. Like we want to talk about the ways in which our cultures, our countries are important and significant. And this becomes an avenue to do that. It becomes a way in which those countries and those cultures feel like they have a say and and a voice and a way to call attention to their cultures but also communicating particular ideas about women and the role that they play nationally, globally. So I think it's about like questioning this idea of Western dominance. What does beauty diplomacy look like on the pageant stage? So you see that on the pageant stage when you have MCs, hosts of pageants asking contestants about current events, you know, what are the best aspects of this country? What should we do to energize the youth in the country? Contestants are expected to have what are called pet projects, where they have to do charity work. And often in Nigeria in particular, the charity that they um, connect to is especially supposed to be plugged into like the most vulnerable elements of Nigerian society and kind of be the voice for people that have less power. Also in Nigeria, the contestants oftentimes they're working class or middle class, but they are not necessarily part of kind of the upper echelons of Nigerian society. And through their participation in the pageants, they're able to kind of connect to politicians or celebrities or business people. You know, oftentimes they'll talk about this platform that they have that is meant to, again, be about the social good? How can we help people that are the most vulnerable? How can we really talk about the positive aspects of this country? 
And in Nigeria in particular, because it has this unique reputation, there's a lot of bad images of Nigeria that circulate with like the internet scams or thinking about, oh, there's a lot of conflict in this country in terms of religion or in terms of ethnicity. So pageants are seen as a way of counteracting that, of redeeming that, of thinking about women that are young, they're ambitious, they're educated. These are women that are hospitable, they're warm, they're beautiful. And ladies, if you are looking for a book that will not only blow your mind, but also arm you with all sorts of incredible facts to blow other people's minds, I highly recommend a book I am holding right now in my hands called Eve, How the Female Body Drove 200 Million Years of Human Evolution by writer and researcher Kat Bahannon. Here are a couple of unladylike facts I learned thanks to Eve. Humans, we are not the only species with abortion. Or how about this? Women outlive men because our bodies are just better at not dying. 80% of the world's centenarians, people over 100, are women. So if you want to know more about all of this incredible and unsung science and history of the female body, get your copy of Eve wherever books are sold. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. Not only do I personally know couples who met on Hinge, Hinge is great for anyone looking to date with intention, regardless of who you might be attracted to. Because bisexual and queer daters, Hinge sees y'all too. And now Hinge has launched their new bisexual preferences. They listened to bisexual daters who said, hey, we want more control over who we see being served up to us on the app. And Hinge said, sounds great. With this new launch, bi and queer daters have the option to customize their preferences for age and height across different genders, making it easier to find what you're looking for. So if you are interested in a woman who's taller or you're looking for a non-binary person who's maybe on the shorter side, with Hinge's new bisexual preferences, you can find who you like, whoever is your type. We all deserve to have more control over our dating experience and go on great dates. So download Hinge and find someone worth deleting the app for. Before the break, Kemi noted how big four pageants are critiqued as being too dominated by the West. And it is a valid critique. Both Miss World and Miss Universe have been around since the 1950s, so they have had time. And even though they bring in women from around the world, yes, judging by the women they've crowned, the beauty criteria skews white light, and yeah, westernized. For one thing, guess which country has the most Miss Universe titles? Here is a big hint from the 1980 competition. Darlene Davis, Bahamas. Jill Lorraine Murphy, Bermuda. Bolivia. 
Jelaine Murphy from Bermuda. Beatriz Ivanov, Uruguay. Sean Weatherly, USA. At that same 1980 Miss Universe, African and Middle Eastern delegates were smushed together and presented as just one big group. And of course, there have been bright spots. More recently, in 2019, it was a big deal that Miss South Africa, Zozibini Tunzi, won the Miss Universe crown as a dark-skinned Black African woman who also wore her short natural hair, and even though she had been advised to wear a wig. It was an even bigger deal that Tunzi was one of an unprecedented five Black beauty queens that year. The Misses, Universe, World, USA, America, and Teen USA. And we love to see it. And also, what does it tell us that that was even a viral news story to begin with? Well, one thing we know is that five is the same number of times Miss Universe has ever crowned a Black woman from anywhere in the world. In 1999, Mapule Kwelehobe of Botswana became the first Black African beauty queen to win Miss Universe and any Big Four crown, period. The first Miss Universe representing an African nation was another Miss South Africa, except she was white, this was 1978, and get this, white Margaret from apartheid South Africa. She was crowned by the outgoing Miss Universe, Peggy Comasong, who was dot, 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 the first Black Miss Universe. I mean, talk about some political symbolism in that moment. And getting back to my conversation with Kemi, there was also a lot of political symbolism happening on the Nigerian beauty pageant stage. The Miss Nigeria pageant, which was... The first national beauty pageant started in 1957, just a few years before Nigeria won its independence from Great Britain. Mm -hmm. Was that timing significant? Yeah, it was significant in the sense that 1957 was also this moment of transition to independence, right? And so I think it kind of leverages and underscores the work that pageants do in terms of promoting this idea of a nation, because that became a way of, again, highlighting ideas of independence and laying the foundation for that transition. So in your research, you focus on three national pageants, Miss Nigeria, Queen Nigeria, and Most Beautiful Girl in Nigeria. Who gets to eventually go to Miss World and Miss Universe? Like, kind of, can you sort of lay out the hierarchy for us? MBGN sends contestants to Miss World and Miss Universe. And I guess in that sense, that was considered, you know, the pinnacle, winning these international global competitions where you're competing with contestants from all over the world. But in terms of the other pageants, I think that they were aware of that hierarchy and they reworked it in a way that made their own pageants important and significant. So they would talk about how those pageants are really focused on the global pageant circuitry. And as such, we have a different kind of work that we're doing 
that were really the ones that are promoting national values. We're the ones that are really more plugged into the grassroots. And as such, we can problematize and question that particular hierarchy. So it shouldn't be that Miss World and Miss Universe are the pageants that we should be focused on and saying that, no, we need to value Nigerian culture in and of itself. We need to do that work internally as a country, especially since in Nigeria, it is a very diverse country in terms of ethnicity and also religion. And so they see their work in terms of let's bring this country together. Let's value our diversity, not just at the global stage, but also domestically and internally. How are contestants judged then, especially in context of wanting to kind of showcase and embrace Nigeria's diversity? It sounds a little counterintuitive. One of the things that they did, this is in Queen Nigeria, they would have uh, contestants cook regional dishes. They had to cook these dishes at preliminary competitions. It was explained to me that it wasn't just their ability to cook, even though that was important, but it was also about knowing certain social etiquette in terms of like how they presented their meals to judges. Are they incorporating certain ideas about respecting their elders, hospitality? in terms of how they're presenting these meals. That was like one element that they would point to in terms of this is a way of highlighting or showcasing that the contestants were fitting into particular ideas and ideals of domesticity in Nigeria. I mean, I think there are ways in which that also plays out on the global stage, not identically, but some of the pageants like in this world, you have to have like a national dress like a national costume right folks asking questions like what does this represent what is does this mean why did you incorporate this into your outfit into your dress i think especially when you're competing in this world in this universe that you're kind of doing this juggling act of being able to like talk about nigerian culture and be familiar with nigerian culture even cultures that are kind of outside of your own but then also in terms of those that were competing abroad, they also had to display and showcase that they had a kind of cosmopolitan sensibility that they could travel around the world with ease, that they had some comfort with that. And that's something that some contestants also had to kind of hone and build, just kind of based on their own previous experiences. I mean, it sounds like a lot (laughs) to pull off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a lot. And I think one of the things I also noticed is what you were saying, like there are these like really fraught contradictions that, okay, so on the one hand, I have to do this. On the other hand, I have to do that. So it's it's definitely this delicate balance and this understanding that it's not easy, like you were saying. There are all of these elements and aspects that the contestants themselves have to be aware of. It's like, on the one hand, you have to be wholesome. On the other hand, you have to be like, have a certain kind of appeal to lure. So there were all, again, these these striking contrasts. In Nigeria, is Miss World and Miss Universe appointment television? Like, are the stakes higher? Are people more invested? I would say it's a mix, right? So Nigeria being able to win a Miss World or win a Miss Universe or even get in the top 20 is considered a big deal. There are people that that's an important kind of touchstone for them. 
But like in many other contexts, pageants are contested in Nigeria as well. So there's some folks who are very adamant that this should not be something that Nigerians should be paying attention to, that there are bigger issues in the country that need to be attended to. And they kind of see it as, you know, at best a distraction, at worst, something that undermines Nigeria. Miss World 2001 is Miss Nigeria. Tell me about Agbani Derego's 2001 Miss World win and mm-hmm. and how how did Nigerians react to it? I think that was definitely a moment that's still referenced today in terms of this is the very top, top zenith of the pageant world and Nigeria won. This was in 2001. Nigeria had transitioned to democracy in 1999. So there was this particular moment in terms of Nigeria's political history of her winning doesn't just mean we're getting attention globally But it's also a sign that in this post-democratic era, we're on the right track, like we're on the right trajectory. And so her win was celebrated in the country. You know, there were carnivals, there were the receptions. Ordinary Nigerians kind of recognized that and were um, proud and happy about that. But there were also ways in which like politicians and state officials also kind of leveraged that win as a way of signaling that, okay, this is this is a, a signpost, this is a recognition that we're on this upward trajectory in terms of Nigeria's politics, the economy. It just became this kind of signal and sign for that, this kind of vibrancy and optimism. Um, I would say even today, she has a lot of cultural valence and cultural significance. There are ways in which she's referenced in like pop culture that kind of shows the way in which she in particular has this larger significance and popularity. That also sounds like a lot of pressure, you know, embodying these hopes and aspirations of a nation. Was she in fact a bellwether of these positive changes and this rising sort of global prominence for Nigeria? I would say in a way, yes, definitely. So yes, it was the pressure at the, t- at the time, you know, she was 18, right? This is a young woman who has all of these, again, pressures and expectations and acknowledgement that it's not just about her own life and her own aspirations, but also the ways in which she is speaking to these larger hopes and desires. But it's not without any constraints or pushback. So it was just the following year where Nigeria attempted to host the Miss World pageant, kind of building on all of the hopefulness and excitement of Dorego's win. But it ended up not being hosted there. It was moved to London because there were a series of protests in Nigeria and also outside of the country. And those protests were were tied to a lot of the divisions in Nigeria, particularly in terms of religion. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I think Nigeria is a really important country to study because you have all of these ways in which 
Nigeria is talked about or understood as a very important country. You know, it's the most populous country in Nigeria, has one of the largest economies in Africa, and is kind of positioned and seeks to be one of the largest economies in the world. But a lot of that kind of optimism and promise is often tempered by social realities that can trouble that. And ladies, if you are looking for a meaningful, guaranteed to please gift that keeps on giving this holiday season, you can't go wrong with the Skylight digital picture frame. Skylight is a touchscreen photo frame you can send photos to straight from your phone and they appear in seconds. You can even preload photos before the box is opened. It's also great as an individual gift or even for groups because with the free Skylight app or unique email that they'll give you, it's so easy to use and setup takes less than 60 seconds. Seriously, my Skylight frame is set up in my living room and it was almost too easy to set up and it looks gorgeous. The photos are displayed in HD resolution, and it looks like a real modern photo frame. And Skylight is so confident that you will love this frame. It offers free 120-day returns. As a special limited-time offer for Unladies, you can get $15 off your purchase of a Skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com unladylike. Again, to get $15 off your purchase of a Skylight frame, just go to skylightframe.com slash unladylike. That's skylightframe.com slash unladylike and get $15 off a gorgeous gift for other people or for yourself. What are the kind of behind the scenes roles? Like who are the folks who are helping make all of this happen? Because I would imagine that it... It probably, you know, kind of takes a village to make a world-class beauty queen. So you have the owners of these pageants. So those are the ones that own like the companies, the media and communications companies that sponsor and and own and, and promote the pageants. They're in charge of the financial aspects. And then you have pageant coaches or trainers. They're the ones that do the work of, you know, this is the way you talk. This is the way you walk. They help with the choreography and kind of the stage presence of contestants. During the whole pageant, you know, they're ultimately filmed and not only in terms of live show, but they'll have behind the scenes. Some of them will have a reality show attached to it. So there's a whole production crew that's also there. There's also people that are the judges. They're judged in terms of just auditioning, then they're judged in preliminary competitions, they're judged at the actual live show and the and the final. They also have chaperones, is actually another important aspect of it. And it's interesting, I found that the chaperones, there was kind of this perspective of the chaperones in terms of like, we're gonna watch you 24-7. Like we can't go to the bathroom without someone being on you. Like it was like this constant monitoring and surveillance. And part of what I also noticed it w- was that 
that presence of the chaperones was also a way of kind of showing that these are women that are highly protected and it's difficult to get access to them. And there was also kind of a gendered element of that in terms of showcasing that they were always under this kind of constant surveillance and security. So circling back to what we talked about at the very beginning of our conversation around sort of the American women's lib lens mm-hmm. on beauty pageants and also feminist critique of beauty pageants as either exploitative or empowering, sort of this very binary lens. What don't we see when we look at beauty pageants through that exploitative or empowering either or? Yeah, I've never found that particular framing very satisfying. I think part of the reason is that there are ways in which people work within systems of power that don't account for I'm always empowered or I'm always exploited. There's ways in which I saw contestants themselves kind of aware of particular power dynamics, aware of particular inequalities, and they were able to articulate that and not say, I'm going to completely exit the system, but rather I'm going to work within the constraints of it. So I think if we only think about either or, we miss some of that nuance of how people work within those constraints. Oftentimes that they're keenly aware of, that they're aware of the risks, and they're also working towards potential rewards. Did this particular research and, you know, all of the field work that you did, did it shift at all your own personal understanding of and relationship with your own Nigerian identity? Yeah, I think in in multiple ways. So on the one hand, like I am Nigerian and, you know, I was raised by Nigerian parents, but I think there's something about being in Nigeria on the continent that's, that's very different from my own experience. So it kind of also made me more aware of my Americanness in many ways. It also made me aware about this particular concern that many Nigerians shared with me of being seen globally as important, being recognized, being understood as part of global culture. I mean, in many ways, I also got to kind of experience and understand multiple Nigerian identities in terms of ethnicity in particular. You know, there are multiple kind of cultures and backgrounds in Nigeria that I also got to know a little bit more about. In some ways, I think kind of connected to previous points I saw, I've I've mentioned like in, in ways that it made me really proud of Nigerian culture. It's so diverse, it's so vibrant, but then also again, kind of the realization of a lot of the aspirations that Nigerians have like as a people, but then also in terms of, again, thinking about this larger national image reputation that I saw being so heavily promoted through pageants. What's really interesting about pageants is just the multiple layers that you have this kind of public facing aspect where people are really invested in promoting certain ideas and promoting certain images and reputations, 
but there's also this inner working, the inner workings of how that's done behind the scenes and what kind of supports that and bolsters that, that's also important to be mindful of. So kind of looking, sounds kind of cliche, but looking beneath the surface of what pageants can tell us. Um, and again, being attuned to the nuance and the complexities of that, recognizing that these are events and platforms that speak to a lot of issues related to gender, related to power, related to ideas about national belonging and thinking about how global communities, ideas about globalization are shifting. And so there's still a lot of questions I still have, because I, again, I think they're really these ripe arenas for thinking about these questions. So is beauty diplomacy effective? I think it's effective in terms of the representational work that it does, that it really can rally people behind this idea of let's be focused on optimism, let's be focused on the social good, let's be focused on community and bringing people together. But as I mentioned, if you don't have the social structures in place to kind of facilitate that at multiple levels, then it's mostly just an image working process, right? Then it falls apart. It ultimately falls apart. On ladies, beauty diplomacy ultimately falls apart. But like Steve Harvey said, Please don't hold it against the ladies. Thank you so much to Dr. Kemi Balligan. Her book, Beauty Diplomacy, Embodying an Emerging Nation, is fascinating. I highly recommend. And it is available wherever you find your books. And if there are any pageant heads listening, I know there are lots of layers to the whole pageant universe that I didn't cover. And I would love to hear anything you've got to add to the conversation. Also, if you have competed in a beauty pageant, and I know you're out there, and I'm talking any beauty pageant. I mean, if there are any uh, former Miss Universes or runners up who are listening, by all means. But if you have a beauty pageant tale to tell, send me a voice memo. Hello at unladylike.co is where you can email them or you can DM them to me on Instagram at unladylikemedia. I have also, side note, never seen Drop Dead Gorgeous. And after this episode, I am thinking it's time. I I have transitioned fully out of our Mushroom series. I am now in my beauty pageant moment. Uh, or maybe it's time for a Miss Congeniality rewatch. Unladies Rumors, should we do a live watch along? And non-Unladies Rumors, could that be a good enough incentive for you to join the Patreon? Huh? You can search Unladylike Media in the Patreon app or go to patreon.com slash unladylikemedia. And of course, I would love for you to listen to all of the audio content I can possibly ever produce. But the thing is with Patreon, it is direct financial and needed support. 
Unladylike is an Unladylike media production. Executive produced, written, edited, and hosted by me, Kristen Conger. Mixing and mastering is by Multitude Productions. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Until next week, what is the most unladylike thing about you? Okay, so I think as a in the Nigerian context in particular, I mentioned like there's certain definitions of like femininity and domesticity and you know being a lady in a particular way that kind of convention conveys particular ideas like class respectability and femininity. And so I would say like one of the most unladylike things in that context is I don't like to cook. <laughs> that's like the, and saying that to a Nigerian in particular like being a Nigerian woman and not liking to cook is like laughs me so I would say that's one of the most unladylike things about me love it also very relatable <laughs> <laughs>